is uh, Tim McDonald, and welcome to our ConnectoCon on life working, work with purpose. Um, and I want to welcome a great group of people, um, most that I know and some that I'm getting to know, and hopefully you will all get to know here. Um, and we also have a great group of listeners who are going to be sharing and maybe even have the opportunity to jump on with us if they want a little bit later in this hour. So um, if you're listening, live if you're listening to the podcast it's all good and i want to remind everybody because um connecto is a community for connected work a place for conversations connections and circles a space to co-create a new way of working um, one of the reasons why i love being part of this and um, if you would like to find out more about the community please visit their website at connecto c-o-n-n ECTLE.com, um, where they host regular conversations on connected work, and we'd love to have you join us. Um, and this is our first, very first ConnectoCon in Reinventing Careers uh, series. Um, and my name is Tim McDonald, and today I'm co hosting the conversation with Ayelet Barron. And although we did talk and say that uh, we are definitely um, not feeling like co host here, we're all co-host everybody that's on here and I'm so excited to just kind of start the introductions so um, you know if you want me to kick it off I can do it and give it to Ayala and then we'll just kind of hear what everybody um, what their story is but um, as I mentioned I'm Tim McDonald I'm actually coming to you live right now from Houston International Airport at the United Club on my way back to Costa Rica um, or from Costa Rica to Tampa which is where I live with my wife uh, I'm the former director of community at Huffington Post and uh, really came up with this term of life working with Ayelet about four years ago and just what we've seen and the, the lessons that we've learned and the stories that we're starting to hear and how that's evolved over those four years went from getting blank stares people questioning us what that exactly meant to now um, people resonate with it. They have an idea of what this talks about. And it's really one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have all of you here because I do feel that I've seen something in, in your life and what you're doing that really demonstrates what life working is all about. And so um, that's kind of me in a nutshell. And I'll turn it over to Ayelet for, for a few minutes. Thanks, Tim. I think it's absolutely fantastic that you're actually living life working on and not just talking about it, which is really important. And um, I personally fired myself from corporate America, I can't remember how long ago, from maybe four years. And you know, when I was in corporate America, I kept hearing people talk about work-life balance and finding the balance. And all I saw was a bunch of really stressed out people. And I started to think about um, work-life balance and realized it was really a myth. It was really a story that we, was, we were sold. And, you know, as a recovering workaholic, I'm very proud to say that now four years later, I see myself as a lifeaholic. And what I really want to help create in the world is a world of lifeaholics, people who see life as an amazing adventure and work is just part of it. And really look at work from a different angle of, you know, how do we play? Uh, when I travel now, people say to me, are you here for business or pleasure? And I go, yes. And they look at me like I'm crazy because I don't see the difference between um, business and pleasure right now because I found a way to do what I love. And uh, most recently, uh, I found my dream job just by not looking for it. And uh, I've become the chief purpose officer at Genius 100 Visions, inspired by Einstein, uh, looking at how do we bring genius and imagination to create hope for humanity through 
the vision and inspiration and creativity and imagination of Albert Einstein. So um, I wasn't, when I put down the goals and the plans, I started to have a much different life. And I'm looking forward to hearing from everybody here and, and having a really good conversation because a lot of times when we talk about life working or we talk about lifeaholic or we tell people, oh yeah, it's all play and, and of course we have to make a living. But the question is, how do you shift from making a living to making a life? So um, I'm gonna hand it over to Mark and uh, hear what you have to think. Great to see you, Mark. Hey, Ayelet and Tim and everyone, thank you so much for having me here. Um, it's amazing to get us all in this room because through Tim and Ayelet, I've heard different parts of everyone's story here. And I've seen this concept of life working evolve over the years, getting to know Tim and Ayelet. Um, so it's exciting to be here in this room with all of you and talking about it because now for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm really living it. And it's been an absolutely beautiful journey. But uh, yeah, it's quite a story to get to where I'm at today. So in short, I'm sitting here today in San Diego and I recently moved from New York where I moved with my family cross country from New York to San Diego um, out of a life event that we can certainly touch upon later on that basically had me look uh, at my life and say okay what do I do now and so through some deep introspective work and through taking pretty courageous leaps. Uh, I found myself here in San Diego and I work as a marketer and a storyteller. And it's beautiful getting to balance what I do for money and what I do, or combine the two rather, what I do for money and what I do with the heart. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful journey and I'm excited to share it with everyone else as well. Ian, how about you? So uh, it's an honor to be here as well. Thanks for this introduction. And um, my story, I'm from Brazil. And um, I had, the, let's say, the, the very like, corporate life. I started at L'Oreal Cosmetics Company. I spent 10 years there in Brazil, then in France. I spent four years in Paris and back to Brazil. I was doing different stuff from training and development up to marketing. And with, when I was 28, I was marketing director for L'Oreal Paris, Garnier, Maybelline. So very successful in the eyes of society at the time. But just one question turned my life upside down, which was during a training, a coach asked me, what was my purpose in life? And I didn't have any idea what to answer. And of course, it didn't know mine. So as Mark, I started a very... Uh, self-actualization journey in order to to find the the real answers for that and I end up working and developing a new business with Ricardo Semler that maybe some of the participants have heard about it's a, a Brazilian uh, change maker that really reinvented his company in the 80s uh, and changed it from the very top-down command and control uh, approach for something much more horizontal and participatory. And uh, throughout this 35 years, he managed to really grow the company from 150 people to almost 5,000 people. Um, 
with amazing uh, business results. So the, the, this model could like, prove to work very well. And, and he was looking for someone to help spread these ideas in a more exponential digital way. So that's why we built Leadwise a few years ago, uh, focusing on online learning experience to help leaders to change this mindset uh, and equip them with the practical tools. And in parallel, we advanced and merged with the Senko Stein Institute, another company in the Netherlands that he created with a few partners. And during this transition, I became a digital nomad. So today I keep traveling around the world, uh, working from my laptop. So today I'm in Bratislava. In the end of the week, I'll be in Spain. In July, I'll be in Japan. So I kind of uh, finally combined pleasure with and passions like my travels with business and in parallel i develop another project which is what i call lifestyle hacking where i help individuals to reinvent themselves and and start building a lifestyle with more meaning and, and freedom so that's me savannah what an act to follow. That was lovely and inspiring. Great to be here with a bunch of fellow travelers, as well as a bunch of New York City refugees. I believe at least three of us lived in the Big Apple, and all three of us, referring to Mark, Tim, and myself, all live in warmer, better climates. I'm here in lovely San Francisco. I actually live in Pacifica, which is on the coast, away from all the tech bros, but still within striking distance to the Silicon Valley where I, for better or for worse, have built much of my career, helping companies facilitate their communication about complex technologies into new markets. So while it was a humble pill for me to swallow years ago, my dream is actually to help other people achieve their dreams. That's what makes me the most happy. And I think that often the greatest barrier in an individual or in a company's success, no matter the size, is in the communication of their need solving or in their product or whatever it is that they're doing. So I work with people to fix that, to look at language and community building and really research where whatever it is you're doing can have the greatest impact. And together we help you achieve your dream. So I work with companies uh, all across the world. I got to meet Mara, who runs Connectal here down in Auckland recently at their Tech Week. I'll be speaking over in Denmark in September, and I know Tim is often over there as well. So I'm fortunate. I think, I think in September too, so. <laughs> Yay, I'm at the end of the month. Hopefully we're there at the same time and Perfect. we can continue doing more of this. Uh, but that's just, that's the glory of it. I, I think that my sort of, I, I always think about what was the gateway to your life working and for me, it was about speaking. So I, I grew up in an era when it wasn't as common for people to be independent, as I'm sure many people here watching did. Uh, if you're listening now, write in the comments what you wanted to be when you grew up versus what you are now. I would love to see the comparison. Um, I, 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 didn't, I thought that if I wanted to travel and communicate, I had to either work in television or that I had to work for the Travel Channel or that I had to work very high up at some really boring corporation and eventually be in a position of power where I would be needed at meetings around the world. Little did I know if I was gregarious enough and hustled my ass off, I could get people to actually pay me to come entertain them on stage, which is half of my business. So I do community management, consulting, 
by day, so to speak, and, and speaking about entrepreneurship, about designing your life. I actually work with a book and some Stanford professors on that concept specifically. So if you're looking for a new read, do check out Designing Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. Great follow-up to what we're talking about today. Gives you some tactical tools for doing so. And uh, yeah, I, I really um, I, I feel very fortunate. I had the realization about six to nine months ago that I truly had designed my life, that this was an intentional thing. Um, I get a little upset sometimes when I'm having a rough day and somebody talks about how lucky we all are. I mean, there's luck that's a part of it. There's serendipity, but we also work our ass off to be able to do this. And there's an incredible risk in working for yourself. There's no paycheck. No one else pays for my insurance. Cash flow is entirely up to us. And that's not actually luck. That's, that's hard work. And if you listen to our stories and if you're struck by today and you're feeling inspired, I encourage you to start taking very small steps towards making it happen because you too can do this. Anyone can do this. You, you have to believe in it. And it's not like somebody waved their magic wand and gave us all permission to go out and be digital nomads and travel the world or change our lifestyle. We just did it one step at a time. I'm Savvy Savvy on Twitter. Do say hi there if you're shy in the comments over here. I love that you just brought that up, Savannah, because I was just actually thinking that this is what I wanted to go, you know, hear from all of you about is, you know, because we heard it from almost everybody talking about like, you know, even Ian, when it was like, you know, somebody asked him what his purpose was and, you know, he had to stop and think, right? And, and, but, you know, and so many people will be listening to this and really like saying, this is what I want. And I think the question is, it isn't looking at anybody else, what they want, but what I'd like to hear is, when was it in your life that you kind of had that realization that you could kind of pursue what you wanted and and i think that does revolve around your purpose um so you know i don't know maybe mark you want to share that that story of what kind of propelled you out and and i think it's also about sharing kind of the struggles um that go along with this because it's not easy um, and it is something that, you, you know, I always say it's the mindset shift that we need to make more than anything else. And I'm happy to share a little bit more about mine, but I'd love to maybe hear from you guys and maybe start with you, Mark. Yeah, Tim, thank you so much for that opportunity. Um, yeah, Ian, that question was a question that I used to ask my students. So, so before this whole thing, I taught high school English in New York for 10 years and I, I love teaching and I always identified my core purpose as a teacher. And I used to always ask my students that, these deep, meaningful questions. And, uh, but I was ignoring the fact that that was actually a really hard question for myself too. When someone asked me, what's your purpose? It's, it sort of evokes a lot of anxiety. And I think it evokes a lot of anxiety in a lot of people. And it's because I think we get caught up in this idea that, uh, what's your purpose? Like you have one purpose to achieve. And if you don't actually find it, it's FOMO, it's fear of missing out. It's like, I haven't actually achieved it. Whereas I actually think that our purpose is actually ever evolving and we might actually have a core purpose. That's fine. And it could be something general. Like I am a teacher. I am a connector. I am something along those lines, but the way I think of it, and this is through my work with my podcast, your life on purpose, uh, I honestly think it comes down to one question. It's what can I create? And this goes very deep. And so 
to explain further, what I think is that we are creators. Uh, and this is based off of Yogananda's work as well as others as well, but that we actually have God cells within us. And that just like men and women can actually create physical life, we actually create life as well. Uh, and we create things. And so our deepest purpose, I think, is actually creating. So asking ourselves, what can I create? I think is, is, is the question that helps you find uh, the purpose at the moment. And I'll give you an example. So well, what can I create is a combination of the inside, what's happening in your life, right? So the skills that you have, the things that are happening in your, in your life at that moment, and then what's happening in the world around you. What does the world need? And it's at that sort of intersection that I think that people are able, able to create something that only they can create and the world needs. Um, going deeper, the, the story that brought me really close to, closer to my purpose uh, and a sense of purpose was actually when I was teaching in New York and I absolutely love teaching, like I mentioned, but my wife got very ill. And all of a sudden it was like, here we are, where my wife and I both have full-time jobs. Like everyone's like, oh, you're so lucky. You both have teaching jobs. You're set for life and all of that. And that's never been an incentive to me. That's always been a little bit of uh, like one foot in the grave to think that my next 30 years is planned out. But to the world around us, we had the dream life. We had, you know, everything all set. Um, but then my wife got very ill with Lyme disease. And over a six-year period, I saw her go from running a marathon to me pushing her in a wheelchair. And it was a big wow moment in my life. And so I started this work with podcasting. And uh, that eventually led to me moving to San Diego because the healing climate here, Savannah, that you alluded to, uh, that actually really helped heal my wife from Lyme disease. And so putting um, the work that I created out of that was a series of meditations that everyone's welcome to listen to. They're all free. There's about 140,000 people that have listened to them so far. And I'm very grateful to hear that they've been extremely helpful for other people through very difficult times. Um, there are a series of manifestation meditations that you're welcome to take a listen to. And so that brought me way deeper to a sense of purpose than I never even knew existed. Um, and it was hard. It was not easy at all. <laughs> but what was beautiful is I had amazing people that came into my life, such as Tim, such as Ayala, and such as many others that really helped me uh, stay grounded and really helped me take these leaps. And without all of them, I, I wouldn't be here doing what I am today. So that's my encouragement. <laughs> wow, thanks, Mark. That's that's just inspiring because I know it's not been easy for you. And I think that's one of the realizations that I had was that I had to step out of the manual. There was, you know, my entire life, there was a manual of how things should be. And it was like, check, 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 check. And, um, and then it was like, check. Um, <laughs> and the questioning started to come in to say, hang on a sec, whose manual, whose guide, and I think the more that I stopped listening to the noise outside, which you know was on pretty high, um, things started to change, but it wasn't easy. Like, you know, I started to think about what, what is success? What is failure? 
Um, what's my definition of it? What do I want to try? And I did some crazy, crazy things, not for this audience. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and tried like different things and some of them didn't work out and, and going through that shedding and cleansing of what is failure, you know, and, and you realize that when you see a five-year-old kid who's learning how to ride a bike, if she or he falls off the bike, do they never get on it again? And we get to the stage in our life that if we're not following the manual, it gets a little stressful. And I think that when I, you know, I'll never forget um, Tim and I starting to talk about life working. I think it was more than four years ago. And, and people literally like were, had no idea what we were talking about and every conversation got reframed to work life balance. And then people started, I don't remember Tim, the, the new words that people use like work life alignment. Well, integration, blend, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I just remember that one moment when we both said, well, wait, what, if I got to separate life from anything, what is, what do I have left? <laughs> right. There's only light. And so you know, even with life working, it's a transition because we're so caught up in work to think about what life is. And I think for me, it was like, this is like one big adventure. I was on a plane that, that crashed and I was so busy being a, a loyal employee rushing, you know, to, to do my, my job that I forgot myself in the equation. And I think that becoming more conscious really helped me not only um, of food I put in my body, but like where, where I spent my energy, what people I put in my heart, what thoughts I put in my mind. I started to see all these poisons and toxins that were out there that needed to be addressed. And a lot of people who are working on purpose don't talk about these areas because it's like, what's your purpose? You have to know what you want to do in life, but it's not just a clear road ahead. It's, it's what Mark or Tim or Savannah or Ian said before is like, it's constant learning. And, you know, here on earth school, we get this opportunity to, to really look at ourselves in a different way. And so for a lot of people, I just want, I want to make clear that it's not always like the, the definitions we have of what easy and hard is are constructs we make up for ourselves. And you have to really question things for yourself because no one knows and no one has the answer. And I can guarantee you that each of us have the more answers for ourselves and can help support each other. But you really have to look at your manual. I agree. System. Sorry. Oh, no worries. Uh, one thing that I would like to add is that I'm super fan of the young people that really start questioning and having this crisis uh, in the 20s or the 18s or even earlier because most of us we between the 28 and 35 something happened in our lives like a call it might be a disease it might be uh you get dismissed it might be something negative that uh, call our attention to do things differently but you can design that as well you can do a proactive uh, questioning in your life to really redesign uh, things as you want to, to like in the directions that make sense for you. And, and by talking to a lot of people and seeing this, this journey, this cycle in my life as well, I see that it's always started by the questioning. So we start questioning what society tells us 
to be wrong and to be right. Then it's a phase of awakening to be more conscious about many things that we were completely blind before. Then it goes to reconnection to like holistically to our minds, our body, our soul, nature, and like really feeling a rhythm that makes sense for us. Then going to the planning phase where you plan everything that you want to change and, and the things that you need to do in your life to go to the next level. And then acting and putting yourself in movement and really interacting, experimenting, testing things, collaborating with others. And, and always in a kind of uh, positive and spiral where you keep learning as you go to develop this uh, continuous uh, growing mindset in your life. So um, I think sometimes we're just waiting for this call to happen, but I believe we should be more like active in our lives and, and do it like, and don't wait for something bad to happen. And I think this kind of chats and these stories can inspire other people to take action. Um, so I think I'm super fan of the young people that take action because they're not suffering that much, but I believe that more and more people will be conscious and, and young generations will be able to do this transition faster than we did. I just want to say, I, I, I don't, I, I have, something's not like I'm reacting to what you're saying. And I'm just saying, I don't think it's about speed or, or fast or slow, because I think there's a lot of people who are of all ages that are, that are doing this. I don't think it's, it's just with one generation. I think that's a myth. And I think that, you know, we're so caught up in efficiency and fast and speed that you know, it happens on your own clock at whatever time. And I think having that awareness and those conversations across generations is even more important now. And it's not, because I think, I think like I just see the, the cycles of history repeating itself over and over because we want to be the best and, and we look at competition instead of healthy competition. So I, I'm, I, it's probably not what you meant, but I'm just kind of reacting to, to the speed of things because what are we in such a hurry to do we've got a 21st addiction to busyness and to efficiency and and to all these things that we don't talk about um and and you know this is the first time in the history of of, of humanity that we have a minister of loneliness in the united kingdom that was in 2017 assigned and so we've got all all these things that really need a lot like to what mark said we need a lot of people to wake up to their voice and see that they are here to create and we need generations of creators and makers and so i'm just kind of throwing that out for conversation maybe savannah you've got some yeah questions. i think i think this is a this is a really great deliberation i don't think that ian was trying to be ageist i think he was more looking at the speed of the way things move at this era in time not how people use things faster necessarily but speaking as a technologist there's a lot of advantages to to the efficiency in terms of the positive cultural change that we want to make now for example if you're thinking about making a transition or curious about traveling somewhere you can now google that information rather than having to go to the library and look up that bit so i think i think what he's alluding to there is in the past 
cultural idea shift takes a lot of time. Historically, the amount of time it's taken for progress to happen is shortening, 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 shortening. And we can now be the catalyst to put it, push us into a more enlightened future. And whether that's us working together to share the message outward, or if that's just us on our personal journey, I do think that, I mean, no matter if you're looking at ideas or technology, we do process faster than we used to. That's not necessarily a rush thing or, or a digital thing. It's just a, a reality of the transmission of information thing at this stage. So I, I, I hear you in the sense that everyone should go at their own pace. That said, you can go down the rabbit hole in a very exciting way and connect to people like all of us now, if you were Googling us, managed to find this, to continue this conversation. And that's something that is unique to the digital era and is very exciting if, if online communities are something that, um, that fulfill you. I think it's important kind of on that note, since a lot of us bridge the community and the, the digital side of things is really surround yourself with a nest. Like even within this conversation, it's really nice to know who my allies are and every community needs allies. And I think we talk about them specifically in reference to certain communities right now, but the reality is everyone needs a nest. And even if you're not making a dramatic life change or if you're scaling your business or even if you're breaking up with your partner or moving apartments, it doesn't matter. You may need some emotional support and you need to have people you can be honest with. There is an old wave of society for sure that has in its mouth a very sour taste about those who set their own schedule, who work from multiple places. They do not understand how I can work from my pocket computer and my laptop while I'm down in New Zealand or in Italy. And yeah, you know, maybe the hours are different and maybe I day drink a little wine when I'm in a place like Italy, but do as the Italians do. That's the glory of, of the structure of working like this. And um, so I think it's important that you have people who understand how hard you work, even when it looks like you're just playing. Life working is something we all get, but it's not something the whole world gets. And my mother and I actually had a moment of leveling with this recently where she was inquiring, you know, she was looking at the salaries that people get paid at some of the big name corporations that we know. And she said, hey, why don't you get a real job? You know, you could be making so much money if you were high up at one of these companies. And, and at first it like really stung for a second because I mean, this is my mom and she supported my business a lot. And she definitely is supportive of me as an entrepreneur and as a public figure, but her, her kind of, her, her tone with real job. So we had to have a conversation rather than just exploding on her, which is actually what I wanted to do. I, I held my tongue and I said, okay, let's have a conversation about your linguistical choice about the term real. I have a very real job. As a matter of fact, my job is perhaps more real because I invented it myself. It's not something that somebody outlined for me to do. These are real jobs. Freelancers have real jobs. Entrepreneurs have real jobs. You can call yourself CEO if you want, even if your company is tiny. There's no reason to have ego around any of that. I don't know why society does that. You share the same amount of pressure, whether your company is two people and you have the burden of overhead, or if your company is 2,000 people. I don't actually care. It's no different. It's just a matter of visibility. So find, find the people you can call. I call them my nest. We, we, uh, if you ever see me talking on the internet, hashtag nest is best. That's when I'm actually communicating publicly with my tribe and supporting them and saying, hey, I got you. That article's awesome. Or I'm thinking of you with this pitch or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. I'm saying I see you and I'm also publicly elevating you to, to bring attention to whatever your great work is. So brag about your friends who are in this community. Empower them because I doubt I speak exclusively for myself when I say there are definitely haters 
on this chosen lifestyle that say, oh, well, you just get to travel all around and you get to do whatever. And as I say, hey, it's a gift to be able to do what we get to do. And I am grateful, but it is not always glamorous. And you gotta, you gotta lean on your friends. I think, you know, one thing that you brought up, Savannah, was, you know, really about being honest with others. But I think, you know, for me, more than anything, it was about really being honest with myself and what I wanted and what my priority of what was important in my life and how I could help make that happen. And I, I'll, I so clearly remember the day I was working for an organization and they were one of these companies that and we've all seen other companies have it. It's XYZ company life. Right. And, and I woke up one day and I, I said, if I'm living this life, what happened in my life? Where did, where did that go? And it really was in that moment in time that I started looking at myself and saying, is this what I want? It, you know, cause if I'm getting that, that, you know, what we mostly think of, of, you know, consistency and security and, um, you know, uh, the comfort of having a traditional job, um, we also need to be conscious of the fact and honest with ourselves, how much of ourselves are we taking away? If we are at all, I'm not saying everybody is, this is just my personal experience, because what I felt was I was actually removing part of my soul um, every day that I, I was doing work for this organization. And it just got to a point where I said, I can either kill myself or I can make a change. And, but that takes a lot of honesty with yourself, as well as having those trusted people in your network and your friends that you can have these conversations with. And to me, when I, when we started talking earlier, that was the mind, the biggest mindset shift that I made. Now, I will say that I also had, you know, a very um, good opportunity to make this change because my wife was working a full-time job at the time. That gave me the kind of the comfort as us as a couple to be able to have me do something on my own. And I didn't succeed in what I started to do, which was start a speaking business and, and doing workshops. And I tried a bunch of different stuff and I ended up hitting on something that I never would have thought or planned that now that's what my wife and I do together full time. And it's just amazing that I can still do all these other things, but I, I, it really took that trust in myself and that honesty with myself in order to help make that change happen. And I, and I think, Tim, what you said is very important because if you, if you don't trust in yourself, nobody will. And it's super important in the beginning when the challenge will be maybe stronger uh, to really trust that things will change. And, and one thing in my story that in the middle of the hurricane, like doubts and questions, uh, when I left L'Oreal, uh, Everyone, everyone said that it was completely crazy. Why are you doing that? You, like you have a, a great career and blah, blah, blah. And if I didn't trust myself, I would go back to the first opportunity. And actually I had another opportunity in a, in a even like better condition that I had at L'Oreal. And I had to trust myself to say no in that situation to keep with my dream. And, uh, and in the beginning, I felt very, very judged in my, my first steps because it didn't have any success. It was a startup, my first time uh, interpreting. So it was very, very tough. But as I had a clarity of my goal and my purpose in that moment, 
it helped me to eat the shit sandwiches as uh, a guy said once and I really connected because when you find something that uh, give you energy and strength enough to eat all the eat all the shit sandwiches in your life then it's the good direction to go and um, and you can plan that you can really um, like I didn't quit Laura from one day to another I planned if I had like pockets uh, of investments that I could stay I don't know for 18 months without uh, gaining or earning any revenue so you can plan yourself and depending on your level of security that you need and you can start your products in parallel as well so that's one of the the key aspects and uh, try to really and I've heard that in another the book uh, I've read that uh, like have a, a, a lover treat your project as a lover uh, take the time like the 15 minutes here uh, the lunch time at night like do whatever you need to develop your project in parallel of what you're doing now and then when you feel that you there is like uh, traction enough to leave your current job then do it and in my case I thought that, all right, that would give me two years and it will be my entrepreneurship MBA. If everything like goes bad, I will just come back to the business with a huge experience in entrepreneurship because I cannot get that in books or in courses. I need to, to do it. So it, it, it was kind of my internal voices trying to rationalize with myself the reasons why I was doing that and I had my safe plan as well in, in, as a plan B and then it was much easier to do the the big leap uh, so that's one of my suggestions as well to, to not just do it but plan a little bit in order to to reach the minimum level of confidence to do the move I think that's great. I always tell people who, who are looking to freelance or do anything or just want to quit their job, have one client or one other source of income. And it doesn't have to be glorious, but it needs to take care of your rent and your health insurance. Feeding yourself is optional and can be put on a credit card. But the rest is, is kind of need to check the box. And I think to, to your point, if as long as you can keep your head above water, even if you're quote unquote failing, it can be enough success to sustain you. Like I think, I think perception often succeeds or exceeds rather take home, at least for, for me personally, I think the world thinks I'm very wealthy and, and I am very rich when it comes to the quality of life I live and the, and the people in it, uh, I'm rich with network, but I'm <laughs> financially, I think slightly off the, uh, the, the bit. That's what happens when Forbes puts you on a list. I have to remind them it's not fortune magazine. It is Forbes. So it's, uh, it, it's important that you reach that minimum level of confidence. I think that's actually a, a great way to put it, an MVC, so to speak, before you really start putting yourself out there in an environment where people are going to be judgy, because they are judgy. <laughs> people love to judge what they can't do, <laughs> which is basically how we live most of the time. <laughs> I think, it, you know, it kind of reminds me, I heard this a long time ago that, you know, and... I mean, I'll, I heard it in the framework of, of being a leader, but I think whenever you decide that you're going to live your life, you are a leader and you're leading your life. And, but it was, you know, there's two groups of people in this world. There's 
And, and as soon as you take that position where you go out on your own, one group is going to shoot arrows in your back because they're jealous of the success that you're perceived to be having and they wish they were the ones doing it. And the other group is the ones that love you because they don't want to see you get hurt. And life isn't about being safe. It's about experiencing it. You know, the ups, the downs, um, understanding what works, what doesn't work for you. And, and to me, that's like one of the biggest things I think that I've, you know, as I'm listening, I'm really just reminded of that, just how lonely this can be, you know, when you are starting something. And I, I'm kind of curious if anybody else has, has felt that way, that, that kind of sense of loneliness. And I know what you just brought up that the UK needed that, but it seems like at least when you get started, um, a lot of people think that they have to do it all on their own and they don't have other people out there. And what does that look like and how has that helped? I'll jump in real quick and say that I, so what was fascinating in my, my career journey is I did a complete 180 in that I went from working a job where I was asked at least 200 questions a day where people needed my time and they needed me. And so it was an extrovert stream, which I am an extrovert, but it was still exhausting. And so I went and I, and I remember, so a little bit about more of my backstory, I uh, go in with what Ian had just brought up. Uh, that's precisely my, my plan of what I did is I was teaching a full-time job and picking up marketing clients on the side as I learned about marketing and went through an MBA program. Um, and so I, I was doing that and uh, I had interviewed all of these people that were living this like glorious digital nomad life. And I was like, wow, that is just so amazing. And, and I had this case of, I wonder what that's like. And so when I ended up resigning from my teaching job and working solely from this box right here in front of me and like savannah you just brought up like being able to like i was working on this thing in the middle of the jungle in lao and it was the craziest experience of my life because i was in the middle of nowhere but i was working as i was sitting with this phone it was it was it was wild but what i learned is i uh, i really missed the human connection and i saw this whole other side of work that I had never known before. And so it's funny because now I'm coming back to this where I've got an accountability group where we meet every Saturday or a mastermind group. We meet every Saturday. I've got my accountability partner that we chat with uh, on Zoom every Wednesday. Um, I have my, my men's group that I've started here in San Diego. And it's like, I'm realizing how much I love interacting with people on a person to person level, physical level. And I'm bringing that back into my own work and my own life as well. Um, but that was something I wouldn't have learned had I not actually taken that leap. One other thing I wanted to share really quick is, you know, as we get older, it's so hard to change. And we all know this and we all read these books by like Pima Chodron that talks about impermanence and like how they're really, you know, the only constant is change and all of that. But from my own experience, and I don't think I'm alone in this, is that the older we get, the harder it is to actually step outside our comfort zone. And I don't blame people for doing that at all because you know Maslow taught us, right, with his hierarchy of needs, that we need our foundations met. And when our foundations are met, meaning we're used to a paycheck, right? We we have food, shelter, water, like those are really comforting. And I and I and as a human species, like that makes me feel good, right? But what I've learned is that when you actually 
like do a massive change, whether that's a move or whether it's a job or whether it's realizing that some relationship friendships and that aren't serving you and you, you know, resign from those friendships and you move on to another group or whatever it is, it's, it deepens life or widens life to a point that you can't explain unless you do it. So much so that I precisely remember moving to San Diego and I remember literally, and this is not a joke, I remember pulling over on the side of the road, freaking out because I was the extra like stress of like, where am I going to get my bread in the grocery store? Because I was like so used to like, this is where everything is. And I was in such a routine. And, but it opened up this new level of awareness and, and it, it was amazing. And the more that I meet people that have done a major change like that, it's sort of like this we look at each other and we get it and we sort of laugh. We're like, yeah, isn't that kind of crazy how it's like, there's still that part still existing. Like there's still that part of me, but my life has widened in a way that's just utterly beautiful. I think that's a really important. I think that's a super important point that you just brought up, which is the overwhelmingness of new. Like that's one of the things that that people don't realize. So so one of the, I I really make it a point to literally save for me occasionally bitching at an airline for poor service. I really don't complain about the travel life and 150,000 miles a year and all of that. I love it. I chose it and I'm I'm happy for it. But but I will say there there is no comfort. Like you don't land it's it's not all five-star hotels and super glam life. It's actually quite the opposite of that most of the time on the road. And you don't unless you're packing it like the the meticulousness of how i pack my backpack i'm a neurotic freak speak about things i'm i'm totally ocd about it's because i need to have certain creature comforts medication whatever it is it all has to be on you and there just isn't ever a sense of comfort you don't ever get to just move in when you're a digital nomad and when you're on the road i i got excited last week because i was in the same hotel room for three nights that was my longest in the last two months that I've been in one place, three whole nights in one hotel. And I got to take my underwear out of my bag and it was thrilling. And this is, this is one of the trade-offs, right? You never have a corner store that you can always go to. You don't know what the cheapest market is. You don't know the best bar in the neighborhood. And yes, the internet helps a lot with this and connecting with people helps a lot with this, but nothing replaces having a friend or having a human being that you know that can guide you in an area or welcome you to, to a neighborhood. So really do leverage your online community, crowdsource, Intel, and know that it's totally okay and perfectly normal to be in a completely stunning, breathtaking place and still feel lonely when you are by yourself, because it's not always about where you go and the things you see, but who you experience them with, and that is okay. Now, I think I think that when you start thinking about the division and separation that we've had in our society from nature, for example, um, I don't feel lonely anymore because I've realized that we're just part of nature and we don't need to to dominate it anymore. And I'm on the road quite a bit. You know, sometimes I get to be home for two days. And um, I, I don't call myself a digital nomad or I don't put myself in a box. I just put myself as I'm just experiencing life today and this is what it has to offer. Um, I'm actually, you know, feel very, very blessed and lucky to have this opportunity to try different things and to look at things in different ways, even to fail. 
I mean, I, I tried a whole bunch of stuff when, when Tim and I started out that didn't work out that brought us to actually a more beautiful place. And so I think that, you know, putting down the roadmap, somebody else's roadmap, putting down somebody else's uh, criteria of what makes you tick is really, really important in the world because again, as I said earlier, nobody knows. And I think that we have a whole misconception in our culture about the role of nature, um, you know, because now we have to go detox in nature, but we are part of nature. Nature, everything that you see in every one of our environments, it all came from nature. And so we have to think about things from a very uh, interesting perspective that we weren't told about before and to look at connecting at a very different level because it's not the number. I mean, for me, um, Savannah, one thing that changed, it was like I was always called on calls with people and connecting with people. And even though I moved to a very rural part of Canada, you know, I was doing Zooms and, and, and then I was like, what am I doing? I'm just numbing and stuffing myself and I don't really need it. I can just go out for a walk and, and do things differently and be more creative and write more and nobody has the answer for me. And I think that's just such an important message that comes in life working because we spend so much time comparing or wanting to be the best or being told this or that and, and really finding your own camp, camp compass and navigation system becomes really, really important. And I'm an outlier, so you know, I, I never follow the crowd. Where is the crowd? <laughs> oh, we just had a couple of guests come in, so um, maybe we'll get a, because we're getting close to our hour, we got about 10 more minutes, and um, so Brian, do you just want to tell us uh, a little bit about you, and do you have a, a thought you want to share, or a story, or question? Uh, sure, my, my name is, I, I'm, I'm Brian, uh, I, I, I work at a small internet company called Google, um, and um, what I, all the stories I've heard so far uh, talk about basically a, 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 a career shift out of um, the, the corporate space into pretty much the, the, the solo entrepreneur space. And uh, I, what, what, I've, uh, what I'm trying to do at Google is help reshape corporate work structures so that uh, work is, is fulfilling in that space and, and people don't have to jump ship and, and do this massive career change. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering uh, from, all, from all the other panelists or any, anybody who wants to offer, um, what, what do they see has to happen in, in corporate space uh, to, to, to at least move the needle a little bit in, in, in the direction of, of, of having uh, a work fulfillment as, as you're experiencing now? I can share one thing that I've been seeing a lot, uh, companies that ma manage to do that. First is to really try to connect individual purpose with the company purpose. It's all about aligning this gap that today is so huge that people feel completely disconnected with the purpose of the company. And then it's reshaping the whole culture around trust, transparency, autonomy, and really empowering people to be uh, themselves and the company, not playing the corporate masks as, as we see many, many times. It's bringing their wholeness into the workforce and, and feeling uh, that they're adding value in the very daily uh, aspects of the work. So if I could just give 30 seconds answer, I would focus on that. Okay, thank you. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, oh, <laughs> I was going to say just one thing that I have learned when I was at HuffPost was, you know, everybody there kind of called me the uh, entrepreneur, right? Because I was always trying to connect with, we were part of AOL and AOL was part of blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so it was always like meeting those other people in other departments and starting to connect other people that didn't know each other so that we could start to really feel like we were all connected in a way. Um, it's not that I, I created anything massive change other than, you know, that it was really for me kind of just finding the right stakeholders to get their buy-in, um, not putting additional strain or resources on them and then just testing small and not feeling like you had to do a big momentous shift and just start with creating something small and measuring that progress. And, and if that worked, then other people would start asking about it and you'd see greater adoption happen um, throughout the organization. But that, that's just my personal experience of what I went through there. So, so Tim, what, what, I, what I hear you saying is, is uh, ask for license to step outside the box and, and step out small and, and kind of prove, you, prove the value proposition and then step bigger, is that right? Yeah, I always said I'd, I'd try something as long as it wouldn't get me fired. And sometimes I kind of cross the line on that. So. <laughs> I, I think that scaling via team is one way to do this. This is actually something that I work with corporations on specifically, employee happiness and really understanding what gives people a sense of purpose at work. And what I found, and this is something you can do on small teams, big teams, doesn't matter. Literally just asking people what gets them up in the morning, how they like to be thanked. Most companies have never asked their employees how they like to be thanked. They assume that it is financial compensation. 75% of the time, it is not how your employees want to be thanked. Uh, there's a new report that just came out by PwC recently that said, and it's like 76, 78% of employees are craving more flexibility that they don't have. And, and that can be in the start time of their day, being able to pick kids up from school. I mean, this, this work from home culture isn't just because people want to sit around in their sweatpants and do stuff. It's because they want to have control over the efficiency and flow of their life and optimize themselves both as a person and as a professional. And that's what this sort of structure allows people to do. So what I've found is, and, and I really, I, I like Tim's point there to a degree that it is about sometimes starting small. It all depends on how flexible the corporation is, or it can really help to have someone external come in. I'm not just trying to pitch my business, but I come in and then I can get blamed if it fails. No one gets fired. I just don't get hired to do it for the rest of the team. So that's not normally how it happens. It's, it's very much, uh, you, you come in, you have a catalyst, you see a morale boost and you see actual change and, and people need to see that everyone can have impact. What happens is, especially at large corporations, systemically for an extended period of time, a select group of people have truly had influence. And in order to disrupt that, no matter what we're talking about from a culture perspective and a motivation standpoint, you have to show that the, the person here, what, wherever that is in the hierarchy, but essentially the, the lowest person, the admin, the entry level, whatever that is, can affect up here. And once people see that bridge, you will see all the other ideas start to pour in because now it's seeing is believing and they had that change. And now instead of pizza every Friday, which everyone's super sick of, we're doing a different Asian cuisine every month or whatever it is. But it, it's amazing how simple the changes are that people want. They just want to feel, employees just want to feel like they have access and control over their fate and the feedback chain between them and the top. It really is that simple. 
So Savannah, what I hear you saying is, is that uh, if people have a, just a voice in, the, in that space, that, that, that changes everything. 100%. Well, then you figure out what they want, what other ideas they've been keeping in their pocket that they were afraid to tell their manager because they thought they'd pilfer it or tell them it was stupid. Or maybe they've been thinking about taking it out and you can actually save that and make it an entrepreneur move instead of an entrepreneur move, which is the ultimate. I mean, Google actually does this quite well compared to other companies specifically. But it's that, I mean, in from a public facing perception standpoint, at least, you've caught a few things internally, which is great. And I think that it's, it's that, right? It's, it's someone needs to be heard. The second somebody doesn't feel heard, they're disillusioned and somebody can poach them or they're gonna go to another community where they do feel heard. I mean, it, it, it's amazing to watch the correlation between sense of purpose, workplace happiness and employee attrition. They are directly correlated. The lower the sense of purpose, the faster the attrition rate and the more costly it is for employers to keep people together. So there's reason to invest in the exploration. This is one of the other big things that I'm really bullish on right now is, okay, yeah, the future of work is changing. We all admit that. Everybody's freaked out about AI. We're all unhappy and taking antidepressants here in America. There's a lot of shit going on. And the, the reality is if companies are not making the investment now, they will literally be left behind, not because they didn't have the ability to scale or had good ideas and, and the capacity to innovate, but because they couldn't attract the talent to maintain and propel that through this what is going to be a very interesting next couple of decades here in the technology space. So the time is now. It's great that you're here. Very happy to have you in the conversation. And, and thank you for posing the question. I just wanted to, uh, to add coming from tech and firing myself from a tech company that um, in the Silicon Valley, it would be good to talk to people because I often wish that people would, would have come at the right time and said, what would make you stay? And I so agree with uh, what Ian said and what Savannah said, but I think we're going through a wave of purpose washing right now, just like we went through greenwashing. And I think that if people can't clearly say, why am I here? What am I doing? How am I contributing to the, to the company? And they don't see a line between their life and the company's life, and it's just a job, um, that you're gonna go into the same cycle over and over. And so you have to be very specific about understanding what you want to do and what you want to create in the world and then how you could do it with a company. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but, you know, for years people would say, well, okay, you studied this, you got degrees in this and what are you doing and how do you explain it? And, you know, we, we, we have to be able to say, this is what I'm doing in the world um, and, and be very, very clear about it. I mean, I learned so much from talking to Mark when he was um, a teacher, because when I first fired myself from corporate America and I was doing work on the future of work, I, I wanted to know what the future of work was thinking. And so I talked to Mark who was talking to grade 12, uh, teaching grade 12 students. And I called a friend of mine who was a Dean of Communications at a, at a large college. And she said to me, you wanna know about the future of work? Um, our, our attempted suicide rate has gone up dramatically. And I think we're also in this happiness washing. To be human is to feel all your emotions from sadness to grief to happiness and joy. And what Ian said earlier about being whole and integrated becomes really important. So I think the ability to see the person of why they're there and invest in them and bring humanity back to business. Um, I think you, your job, you might work yourself out of a job there, Brian. 
I hope I do. I, I really hope I do because I, I, I think that, that what you're pointing to is that um, corporate culture is based on a paradigm of designing machines and, and people are just cogs in the machine and that's not what people are. Okay, you're, okay, you're getting me out of my soapbox, so, so I'll, I'll put it away now. <laughs> but what, what, did anybody else have anything to contribute? Brian, I just wanted to jump in real quick and to say, so like the question that you asked is, is a common question. Like I, I, I hear this question a lot and it's a question that needs to be asked a thousand times over. It's a great question. But what's interesting to me is I wouldn't expect that question coming from someone who works with a company that is often the company example for creating the culture where people are fulfilled. You know what, I mean? you know what I'm trying to say? And I say that because when I was actually in the education system, uh, I actually had a project that I called the 20 time project, which is based off of Google's previous 20% principle. Um, and the whole purpose of it was just to give students autonomy to create a project. Uh, and my goal was to create this culture of innovation so that uh, if you failed at something, you actually were rewarded for trying, not so much you got an F and a zero, you know, all that stuff. Um, so I would love to hear from you. I mean, in your experience, it seems like you have a lot. I would love to know from your experience, what has worked with, your, with people on your team to make them feel like they're a part and to ignite their heart. Okay, um, therein hangs a story. How much time do we have? Okay, <laughs> we're, we're past time. Um, so um, first to, to, to calibrate, 20% um, time is still a thing, it's just gotten bad press. Um, and and, that, and I, I live in that 20% time right now in, in, in the sense that a year ago I told my manager, if it wasn't for 20% time, I'd be out of here. I, I, I'd leave Google because that's how I fulfill my purpose at Google is, 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 is living into my 20% time. And then six months ago, he said, Brian, I want you to take your 20% time way past 20%. And so that is what has given me license and, and give me a sense of, of fulfillment is I get to shape my contribution and I still have to, I still feel compelled to couch it as what am I, what value am I, am I delivering to Google? as a whole and to Google Teams in particular. I, 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 I'm investing my time as a team dev consultant right now. And, and so how do, I, how do I help develop teams to be um, not just effective, which is kind of the, the, the buzzword right now, but how do I, how do I make them fulfilling? And, and how, do, how do I, uh, to, to uh, I can't remember who made the point, I, I think it was Islet. Uh, uh, how, do, how, do, how, do how do we align the individual's purpose and, and, and passions with the company's uh, purpose and, 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 and goals. And, and that alignment, I, I think, is crucial. Um, but uh, we don't, most organizations don't seem to have a language to, to talk about it. So uh, Google, Google's kind of there, but there's still, I see a long ways to go still. <laughs> Brian, I, I'm like, I think we could, and I, I just saw Marla actually say that you're going to be uh, involved in another uh, ConnectoCon here coming up that will explore this even further. So it's a great, uh, I, I know we keep talking about this, but I wanted to real quick, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to get your name pronounced correctly. Is it Mickey or Mayeka? You want to jump in really quick? It's Mika. <laughs> yeah, okay. 
okay, so I wasn't too far off. And and I just love this because I saw it, I, we were chatting earlier and I, I she said she's going to probably be feeding her little uh, six six month old. So, and and so if you want to talk about life working, here's what it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, thank you guys all for sharing your stories. Um, it's been really, really lovely to just um, be part of it and to see where people are coming from. I guess um, Ian knows because <laughs> I've worked with him. <laughs> um, but my story's um, probably quite substantially different. <laughs> um, for starters, I'm currently a stay-at-home mum with three little children, the youngest of which is on my lap and is six weeks old. And um, that has in itself, obviously, very inherent um, challenges. Unlike most of you, I understand I am extremely, extremely location bound. <laughs> so I travel virtually <laughs> amongst a very, very vast network of people. Um, so, and I get to experience culture um, through that way and share in people's lives, which is highly important. Um, for me, it's not really been a massive shift in career. Um, I was extremely, extremely fortunate in that I was raised with the precept, question everything. Literally, question everything. Keep curious. Keep asking questions. And my mum always used to say, man, the amount of whys you used to throw out as a little kid used to drive her crazy. <laughs> she, she, yeah, at a certain stage, she would wish that I would stop. <laughs> so, and I think I've carried that with me with, throughout my life. And that's had obviously very challenging consequences because one of the problems with that is that that goes against mainstream we are essentially told you're not allowed to question anything at all <laughs> you're expected to take the information and um, you're expected to follow a certain formula and I wasn't wired that way I was the kid in high school that managed to find 10 different ways to answer the same mathematical question correctly <laughs> So, yeah, that made life extremely challenging, but it also made it extremely like what Ian mentions too. For me, as a consequence of that, I had an extremely strong um, compass on values, not necessarily purpose, because purpose is something that continuously shifts. Um, it's not a constant. And it's not one thing. This is something that a lot of people miss about purpose. Um, it is related to context, time, people. And as a consequence of actually of something that's very, very seldom talked about, our sense of meaning. And meaning is not something you can find. Meaning is something you make. And I think this is where it speaks to you, Brian, is that really helping other people come to life is to let people understand that you can create meaning even in the most dull most repetitive 
most completely mind-numbing, <laughs> seemingly, occupations. Ask any janitor walking around a school or ask somebody, and I've been there myself, as a data entrant, yeah, who is continuously day in, day out, entering just numbers and data over and over again. And yet people can and do find meaning in that very simple, very repetitive thing. And that's, I think, something that is lost. We haven't been told that. We've been told, go find meaning. Go find your purpose. And that's not the way it's there. Meaning's there already. Purpose is there already. What we need to do is actually create it. Um, oh, I know we are over an hour and I'm not cutting you off, but um, we definitely are going to continue a little bit of a conversation after the recording. But real quick, before we wrap up, can everybody just think of one word if you could share for life working? And so who wants to start? Because I know the last one's going to be the toughest because somebody else is going to pick yours. <laughs> Go ahead, Ayala. Adventure. Serendipity. Alignment. Do we get your Savannah? Serendipity. And Brian? I know it's overused, but I'll say purpose. What was it? Purpose. And then mine would be trust. So. What was Ian? I missed Ian. Freedom. Freedom. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Um, everybody that was on camera um, joining the chat live and anybody that watches in the future. Um, this will be a recording, so you can definitely watch from the beginning if you missed it or you just want to go back and listen again. And thank you so much, everybody, for being here today.